Would you like to become a fascinating personality, break free from plateaus, and gain power over your mental resources and your full potential? You came to the right place. Welcome to a magical journey to yourself. This show is made in Germany. If you like the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or PureMindMagic.club. Welcome to Season 1, Shaping Your Reality. And here is your host, international magician, speaker, and book author, Victoria Mavis. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pure Mind Magic. And today we have a fantastic interview coming up. I feel very honored that I have the LA producer Harry Lowell in the show. He's an award-winning TV producer, member of the Television Academy of Arts and Science and president of Nightlight Pictures in Los Angeles. He also did projects for Oprah Winfrey and for Disney. He has a very interesting story, what he went through and shares today a lot of insights around holiday with us as well as how to pitch anything. I think that is always interesting. So join us for this great interview with Harry Lovell. Hi, Harry, what is going on in LA? Well, it's very early, Mavis, so uh, not a lot, which I enjoy. I love the peace and quiet in the mornings when you actually can get a lot of work done, because once the phone starts ringing in LA, you're just putting out fires till late at night. So this is my favorite time of day where I'm clear-headed, very motivated and very positive. I like that. Over here in Munich, it is already afternoon, but it is really, really hot at the moment. So I can relate to that, but I love your idea of being so clear in the morning. So to start off with that, do you have any tips on how to start a great day from your morning routine? You know, I, I've read a lot of really interesting, you know, Uh, morning routines from different people. My wife loves podcasting. And so Tim Ferriss and Bill Gates, everyone's got their routines. But I think what worked best for me is I love to get up when no one else is awake in the house. And that's when I have my most uh, clear mind, biggest epiphanies, uh, the most motivation. And I really feel like I, I connect to myself and what my motivations are in the morning, because I usually have three to four hours uninterrupted without phone calls, without urgent emails, without Uh, crazy texts going off, and it really allows me to follow kind of a path on something that I'm really interested in. It may not evolve into something, but I feel like I get a chance to explore what interests me, what motivates me, the projects, the, the, the future projects that I really want to get to. I've got that time to explore without any pressure. So I think for me, what I love is I don't set an alarm. I never wake up to any kind of alarm. I don't want that to Uh, I want to make sure I get as much sleep as I think my body needs. And sometimes I'm up at five. Sometimes I'm up at 630. Sometimes I'm up at seven. Um, most of the time I'm up fairly early because the sun comes up. We have a, a beautiful California 
uh, sunlight that comes in and that refreshes my body and I feel I've got a whole new day to take something on. So what I like to do is go quietly into a separate room, pull out my laptop and uh, take a sketch pad because I do like to write things down. I think sometimes physically doing things is really great, but I just let what interests me move me in the morning. And then I feel that I have achieved something that I will fill me up in the day. So then, you know, I slowly filter into my now let me check my emails around 830, 9 o'clock, start to get into my work mode because by 10 a.m. in Los Angeles, everything is exploding. That's where everyone's getting back in, agents and uh, studios and everyone's in and rushing around. So you end up having to service that need. So I like to slowly work my way into it, but know that no matter how hectic that day gets, I love knowing that in the morning I worked on the stuff that fills me up and motivates me to continue to push forward. So it's not much of a routine except to say, I really cherish that time. And some people want to work out. Some people want to take walks. And sometimes I'll, I'll vary it up and do that as well. And I'll, I'll listen to podcasts or uh, think about my, my projects. But I do really cherish those, those mornings where I can just sit and explore. Hmm, fantastic, Harry. I like the idea that you are in kind of your own flow with not mm. setting the alarm to a specific time and also that you really sit down and write things out with a pen on paper because I think there's so much value in doing that and really focusing yourself, not typing, but really bringing something into the world, like from the invisible to the visible, what you are doing with all films, TV, what we are coming to later. But before What we do, Harry, can you give us a little bit of your personal story? Sure. Uh, I grew up in Chicago and outside of Chicago in a small little blue collar town. And uh, I was the first person in my family to go to college. Uh, we lived very simply and we didn't have a lot. But what we did have was an amazing uh, two parent family that had nothing but great hopes and dreams for us and instilled in us a belief in hard work, a strong work ethic, uh, making sure that you do the job right and that you're accountable for that work and a belief in yourself. So while we didn't have anyone to look forward to in terms of entrepreneurial guidance or business guidance, uh, that was not what their strengths were. Instead, what they gave us is a core belief that you need to follow your dreams so that you live the life you want to live. And because they felt that they didn't always get that opportunity growing up in an inner city, And uh, in an era where you were you were taught to go and work for a company, go work for a factory, um, they wanted to encourage us to see what interested us. And, and, and that way we would never have to feel like we have to go to work. And that was the most impressive gift I could have gotten from my folks uh, because it allowed me to immediately leave after high school and go to California to pursue that dream. And I was very fortunate because um, professors and really strong mentors who took an interest because I worked my butt off. We worked 14, 16, 18 hours a day. I slept on the floor at this uh, internship I had, and I would wake up at 3 a.m. and continue to edit, and they recognized that. And these wonderful people, uh, Cliff Einstein and Susan Butterworth from Disney, noticed that and gave and, and allowed me to learn how to be the best producer that I could be. And they taught me everything through watching them react with people and I was able to get opportunities to do some really fantastic work in my career. And I think the thing that makes me the most happy is, um, you know, doing a project where the team all comes together, everyone 
contributing and it's better than you ever expected. I love really tough projects. I love projects that are big puzzle pieces where there's all kinds of, you know, international travel and all kinds of high pressure. I love the walking that tight wire rope that is, is, you know, we really can't feel alive as a producer unless you're pushing your storytelling and doing things that are outside your comfort zone and you're learning and you're working with amazing, talented people. So I think that, um, my blue collar work ethic allowed me to, uh, ingratiate myself with some really talented people here who gave me a shot, um, who were amazing to allow and trust a little kid from Chicago to do the kind of work that I was doing. We were doing Super Bowl spots. We were shooting stuff all over the world and people were, were kind enough to follow along with these crazy ideas and how to execute them. And, um, we've done some really good work over the, over the time. And I think I've always looked forward to giving back. I think it's an important element because so many people in this industry, um, it's not a clear path. You know, that's, this is in film and television, unlike being an architect, right? An architect, you go to school, you're going to train to be an architect. And at some point you will be an architect. Will you be the best architect or the one that's doing the biggest things? That's up to you, but you will be able to become an architect in producing, directing, being a magician. There's no clear path. You have to figure out and believe and connect with people that are like-minded in order to make that dream come true. So I've been very fortunate and I realize that and uh, I work every day to honor those people who trusted me and continue to pass that on to people who deserve an opportunity because it's a very, very tricky business. That is true. And it's really an amazing story you went through. And I think you had the strong desire that attracted you to your dreams and really make the things come true you had in your mind. Yeah. Very nice. So Harry, my, my, yeah. you know, to, to that point, I know that, uh, you know, my interest when I was very young, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. I didn't say it out loud like that, but I made little films and filmed things in the backyard and tried to do little animation pieces with my Lego, you know, people. And my dad would come back from the factory and he would be my cameraman. He would be my lighting guy. So it was amazing to have that kind of support from your family who embraced uh, a, a craft that had really no relevance in my blue collar upbringing. It wasn't something that was, you know, you could go and say, my uncle does this or my aunt does this. They really had no idea. There was nothing to guide me, but they just supported that that was a passion of mine. That was something I, I couldn't stop myself from doing. So it was so great that they, without hesitation, lended a hand, bought video cameras when they could afford it to give me a chance to, you know, pursue what it was I loved, you know, and I had to learn a lot of it um, by bumping my head and running around and reading books and trying to figure that kind of stuff out. And it was such a rewarding opportunity because my parents just said, keep working, keep studying. This is what you want to do. And, uh, you know, it, it's not a common practice in a blue collar community. You, you know, most of the time people end up following in their, their parents' footsteps or um, being taught you need to quickly get a job and get insurance. You know, my parents were much more open to, to, even though they didn't understand what it is I was doing or what the world was like, they wanted me to be happy and to follow those dreams. So that was a, a big benefit. And knowing what I wanted to do was very helpful too, because the clarity in my mind, I knew there was a direction that I wanted to go and I felt supported. So of course, why not pursue it? 
Because then as you move through in any industry, magician, producer, director, you're going to face a lot of adversity, rejection, failure, um, slow periods, and you have to have inner confidence to get through that. That is so right. And I think it's really great that you got this great gift with your supporting parents as well as being really clear on what you wanted. Because I think a lot of people really get lost because they have no clue what they really want in life and which direction they are going. So Harry, what would you describe? How did your mindset evolve over your personal story to the point that you are now this very successful producer living in LA and producing this fantastic projects all around the world, like the Super Bowl commercials and everything else? Because I think everything starts in the mind. So how is your approach on the mindset? It's a really good question. And I think one of my big philosophies that's always worked for me is that I think you need to constantly reevaluate your goals and your direction. So what I wanted at 17 was different than what I wanted at 23, different than I wanted at 30. And I think it's because you start to learn yeah, as you as you make progress in your life, you Uh, your relationships change, your uh, your financial status change. Sometimes the industry you want to get into changes. The city you're living in might be shifting and changing for the good or the bad. And I think that a lot of people will, and I see this happen often, pursue one. Maybe they're interested in something. They'll pursue it only to find out that 20 years later, they're really not happy and they haven't been happy in a long time. But rather than reevaluate that, And, and understand that maybe that this choice needs to change. They've stuck into it, and now they feel trapped. They feel that they can't move. They feel that they're locked into mortgages or car payments or family situations. So one of the things that was really important to me was being able to constantly reevaluate my goals and to see if what I want is still what I love. And I think that's an important distinction. So I was able to, to see what fills me up, in, in the roles and the jobs that I was doing, but also see what am I missing or what things am I coveting or is the, the percentage of what I love about this job being eclipsed by the stuff that I don't like about the job. And so that was an important element as you, as you advance in your career. Um, because I think it making course corrections, sometimes small, sometimes large is crucial. If you really want to live, um, and have the best business life that, that you can, and that, that fills you up. I think I'm very lucky. I think like you, Mavis, that, uh, you know, when, when a magician knows what she wants to do and that is a difficult path to achieve, but you are committed, you know that that fills you up and there are hardships and there's a lot of struggle to go through for that. But ultimately it is what motivates you to get up in the morning and what, what, uh, you feel, you feel that this is what your, uh, intention is to do. And you will, even within that magic industry, you will grow and shift and change in terms of, do you want to do a one woman show? Do you want to do a televised show? Do you want to do smaller clubs? Do you want to do bigger headlines? All of that are things that have goods and bads and you have to evaluate where it is you want that career to go and grow as you grow and change. So for me, um, when I didn't have kids, it was great for me to really pursue things that gave me international experience, feature film work, um, television shows. And then when I decided I wanted to have a family and, uh, my wife and I, you know, we knew we couldn't be traveling around as much as we were. We, I was able to change my career path 
to find more localized clients, do more Super Bowl stuff that's Los Angeles based so that when my son was younger, I could be there for dinners every night at four o'clock and make that world happen so I could be the parent I wanted to be and also be the producer I wanted to be at that time. Then as my son got older and we could Skype and he could travel with us, then I said, I want to go back to doing some other projects where I'm traveling the world. We just did a a huge concert, which was with Gwen Stefani and CL and Andrew Day. We were in Korea for eight weeks and it was very fulfilling. And I wouldn't have done that and taken that project earlier when my son was younger because I would miss too much. But now he's older and now he can fly out and see me. We can Skype and chat. So, you know, it's it's all about making course corrections, in my opinion, so you can still enjoy the bulk of your life, the bulk of your business, and that you balance it out. Right? I don't think even as much as producing can absorb you, I could do this 100%. I know that um, it doesn't fill me up if I don't have my family component. So you have to balance that out. If you, and, and everyone's balance is different. Everyone's needs are different. For me, that's what I had to do to feel that I was having a successful, fulfilling life. I needed both those elements, which means I had to give and take on both. Hmm, that is a really good approach. And I think you are so right that the mindset and things you want to have in life are changing over time. And as you yourself are evolving and meeting other people, seeing new opportunities and all that. So yeah, it sounds like you're really grounded uh, and uh, also very creative. I, I like this combination. So let's talk a little bit about pitching things because in film business and tele in the television world, It's normal when you get a great idea. This is one thing, but you must be able to sell the idea and to pitch it, like to wrap it up very nicely that you peak or get interest from other people for your idea. So what would you say, Harry, are some really good guidelines to pitch anything to anyone? <laughs> uh, and this is one of my favorite things. And I learned a lot of this from my wife and from advertising. Because I think that, uh, you know, everyone at some point has to sell something. And I don't like the word sell, but that's the, the, the best way to describe it. Whether it's a TV show or a script or trying to attract a director or a talent or you're trying to get that new job or you're trying to pitch new clients for your side hustle. There's always someone that you need to talk about, talk with that's going to hopefully benefit both of you. And so how do you really communicate is really important and it doing it properly and putting the right focus on things will result in much better relationships and potential business if you do a few simple things and these are the, the the big lessons that are taught in advertising and that have you know benefited me especially in the television world where a lot of producers don't have this background experience which makes it a much bigger struggle for them when they come into that pitch room i think the the first thing about pitching things to anyone is understanding what your goal is, what's your objective, what you want to walk out of that room doing and being realistic about that goal. It's very rare. You're going to walk in and say, I want to sell 20,000 of these or 50,000 of these. I think you have to be realistic as to what you can do in one meeting at one time. The other thing is I think it's important is every meeting I take, the most important thing is that I want to connect with that individual and I want them to go, damn, he is a fun smart person, I could work with him. And I wouldn't mind if I did do business with him over the next six months or year or two years, I could pick up the phone, 
talk to this guy and feel like we can do business. He can handle things that are coming up and that this is the person I want to do business with. That is my primary goal when I walk into any meeting, because that is the one that's going to, whether I sell something that day is less important than the relationship where I know that these people are saying, you know what, we will find something to do together. And I know that we can work together. So if you if you don't make that connection and you don't have a good time and they feel that they've connected with you, then it's going to be a struggle again to do anything. So those are the two things you need to put in your mind before you ever go. And I think that leads to my very next very important topic, which is basically you need to listen to the person that you're meeting. And we call it qualifying. I think you need to find out what do they need and what do they want. This meeting is not about you and what you're selling. This meeting is about well, what are they looking for and what are they what do they need? I think most people skip this phase. They go right into thinking they need to start pitching. They need to start selling. They need to start showing graphs or things on your iPad or talking quickly. And what they really should be doing is building a rapport and asking questions about the person you're talking about or his company. So listening and qualifying means doing your homework, looking and seeing are there any current articles that have come out? Have they done anything in the news that you've seen? How are their products doing? Do a little bit of research so you have some questions to ask them. And you will learn a ton if you if you put the attention on what does this guy, this woman, this company need that's sitting in front of me. Truly be interested in finding out because you will be surprised sometimes that what they need is not at all what you expected. And it might be perfect for what you're about to sell. Or you might realize that what they're needing is not at all what you've got in your bag. And you need to be able to change gears when you hear that happen. But putting that attention on the person you're talking to makes a big, big difference because they they get a chance to um, tell you their needs. You can see their body language. You're less conscious about how nervous you are to sell. You're focused on them. You can see their body language. You can see if they're um, a quick, short talker, if they like to ramble on. And then you can adjust your pre- upcoming presentation to to talk to them the way they want to be spoken to. If they're curt, if they're long-winded, if they're funny, if they're relaxed, if they're anxious, you can better understand whether they're ready and willing to hear your conversation or not. That's an important element. So listening, qualifying, asking some questions. Then the next phase is once you've taken all that information in and evaluated the, the person that's in front of you, right? Don't look at them like a blank wall, but are they really receptive to hearing shit today? They may not be. So you got to be aware of that. The next thing is you have to figure out and your question you have to answer is, how can I help this person, right? I don't want to sell them something, but I want to help them. How could I help this person? And I think uh, there's a great analogy. My wife always talks about this is a very advertising analogy. When you get to the point where it's your turn to kind of communicate with them and you see like, you know, I do have a product here or a service or a conversation to have with them that might work. You have to make sure you're presenting it to them the way they want to hear it. So the classic advertising uh, story is about selling a car. And once you've qualified, you've walked, there's a guy or a girl checking out the car. You need to qualify who this person is and what they're looking for. So as an example, take the same vehicle and a 24-year-old guy walks up and you ask him some questions. Is this your first car? No, I own a Corvette. You see what he's wearing. You see how he's looking at the car. You then sell that car. To him by pointing out 
the performance of the car with a V8. You talk about the style, the body shape, the wheels. You talk about the Bose sound system, right? You talk about the moonroof that's perfect for cruising. And you know that these are the things that are of interest to that buyer. Now, an hour later, a woman walks on the lot, right? And she's pregnant. You qualify and chat with her. What is she looking for? You judge what she's looking for and you sell that exact same car to her, but you point out different features. You talk about the safety features and how this is a top rated vehicle for safety. You talk about the car seat latches and the built in boosters. You talk about pr- trunk space, right? And that it's, it's got room for strollers and hockey equipment. And so you as the person with a product, need to know that you're being genuine to those individuals and finding out what it is that they're looking to buy. If I had taken all of those topics for that vehicle, because it's true, it's got a V8 engine, it's got a big Bose sound system, it's got car seat latches, and I just read that list off to both those individuals, it would turn off both of them because you don't understand me as as a potential partner or customer, because you're not listening to what I really need. You're just listing everything, throwing it out there, hoping that I'm going to like some of it. And you sound desperate. You sound like you're in need and you're not really answering my issues. So I think it's important that if you're listening, you can find out what it is they want. And you have to then be able to say, oh, I'm here today to talk about this. It does fit what they're looking for, but I just need to tweak my language so they can hear it in a way that satisfies their needs and their wants. So that's an important element there. And less is always more. You know, there's a ton of stuff you want to say about selling something, but I think the less you say is the better. Save and reserve some for dialogue and future conversation. I think that's an important element and know when to stop, you know, listen to their feedback. Um, you, You can sell all day long. You're super excited about your product, your script, your story. You have to take pauses and let them respond. Start to see if they're embracing what you're saying, if they're putting up roadblocks, if they're looking uncomfortable. Stop once in a while. See if they're engaged. If it seems like there's engagement, continue with a few more things. But know at some point you got to stop selling and let it settle. You know, that's an important element. Most people are very, um, they keep going and learn when to stop. And I think the most important thing is um, follow up. So once you leave that room and you've left an impression and you were able to pitch something, make sure that you keep the relationship, right? Let them know that you're responsive, you're thoughtful, you send them an article on something you guys talked about or, you know, and and thanking them for the time or getting right back to them if you promise them to get them some extra information. I think those are the key elements for me that go into any presentation, whether you're applying for a new job or interviewing for a, a different position or you have a high side hustle. These are things that are really crucial. I don't, and I know that was a lot of information, but it's the stuff that becomes very second nature if you boil it down to listen, qualify, and ask questions. And then it's much easier to respond because you know what they're looking for or what they're not looking for. Very good advice. Thanks, Harry. I think everyone can take something out of it. And I really liked your example with the car because it sounded kind of being the magician and leading their attention to what's important for them, like their special tools in the car. So let's move on a little bit into the world of films, because I think this is a really magical 
there is everything possible with uh, films creating new worlds. So what would you say as an expert are the five key elements for a successful film? For a successful film, whether it's, you know, a, a TV movie or a feature film, I think it always starts with um, characters and a story. And no matter how many big visuals you put in there, no matter how many great locations you have or how action-packed or how wonderful the music is, it's never going to be uh, very successful if you don't fall in love with the characters. And I fall in love meaning you hate the bad guys, you love the good guys, you cheer for the underdog. And I think um, it's easy to get caught up in all the extraneous stuff, but if you really start with a great, you know, usually fairly simple plot even if it's in space with crazy stuff they're usually fairly simple plots if you break it down and great characters and i think you have to start with that as a, as a producer um independent filmmaking is really rewarding it takes a long time it takes years uh, even even big films like deadpool you know we years for ryan reynolds who is a, a incredibly talented individual to get that off the ground and to believe in his vision Uh, and look what it is today. You think, who wouldn't jump on the Deadpool wagon immediately? But it, it didn't. It took him a long time to convince people. So you have to find material and characters that you believe in and that you're going to fight for for a long time. And that you're going to have to then transfer your love of those characters and that story to many people. To financiers, to directors, to talent, to their agents, uh, to distributors. So... It's, it's important that you really believe in what you're, you're about to sell. And that goes back to the selling thing, too. Don't sell anything you don't believe in. Don't try to convince someone of something that you're not convinced of yourself. So if you're not fully committed and co connected, it's never going to work because you don't have the inner drive and the passion. And people will feel it, you know, if you believe in those characters. So the material is the most important part. And in a film, you want to break it down by getting that script, those characters, And then it's about attachments. Independence different than studio, but speaking independently, then what you need to do is try to find yourself um, either the right talent or the right director. Sometimes the directors can help you bring in the right talent because of the relationships. Sometimes the distributors know who has value. So you want the right talent to bring those characters to life. But that also makes sense in a financial world. You might you know, need to shrink the people that are acceptable in a certain role because you need to make back money for your financiers. So you need to balance all of those. And I think that uh, finding the right talent, the right director uh, is the next big step uh, because that will help you secure your financing. And the tricky thing, I, I'm, I'm sure Victoria, like your work, every magic trick has so many parts to it and each part has to be done flawlessly. The misdirection, the theatrics, The, the technical side, the trick itself, the payoff, each one of those can't be ignored. You know, you, you can't um, skimp on the music after having the perfect talent, the great locations, and then, you know, not get the right music because it will fall flat and the sound is so important in a film. And you have to think of every little piece has to be correct for that. Some films are can be done lower budget. And you can do it in a way that's that's um, specific to that genre. But you need to be truthful to whatever story you're telling. If it's a comedy, if it's a 
dramatic drama piece, if it's an action adventure, you have to make sure that every person you hire, a composer, the stunt coordinator, the talent, the, the director of photography, they all fit and add value to that story. And that they're excited, like you're excited, and then hopefully each one of those people will bring something special better than what you ever thought. And your job, from my perspective as a producer, is to make sure that you are encouraging the right people to really explore and do great things on the film, and that once in a while to pull them back when they go a little too far. You have to know and balance between, uh, because film is also a business, which is why it's the film business. So sometimes you can't just do artsy, creative things without also considering how can I make my, my financiers return on their investment? Because I always believe in longevity and relationships. The, work, the, the clients and the networks and the studios I work for, I've worked for for years because we deliver what we say. We are, they listen to our input, even if we don't necessarily agree. They will listen to us because we're being respectful. They understand where we're coming from and that we're all trying to make the best film and make it successful because we want a long term relationship. So find those films that you believe in, understand what they're worth, uh, make sure you understand the, the return on investment. And that I always believe uh, I got great advice from mentors who told me find and work on things that you want to continue to do. Right. So if you end up getting pigeonholed into doing comedies but you really want to do large action adventures, then you need to start showing people that you can make those kinds of films and those kinds of stories and get and move into that kind of world. Because the more you do and, and learn in the genre and the direction you want to go, the more those projects will come to you. I think it's karma, but I also think it's simply a trust factor in this industry. There's a lot of money at risk and a lot of high level jobs and nobody wants to risk losing their job and their stature. Um, and so what they want is they want to know, Harry, are you really going to make this film sing? Is it going to be great? Am I going to look good to my bosses? You have to make sure that you're doing that for them and delivering for the audience. That's important because when the audience is happy, the distributor is happy, the studio is happy, the talent, the director are happy. Everybody gets future jobs and now we get to make more. And that's the goal, right? It's turn out product. You're, you're proud of and that it leads to new jobs. So from a film standpoint, you've got to get that storyline. And, and it's difficult when you're a beginning producer to get to the next phase, which is the actors and the directors. Uh, but a good story, a good film uh, script will help you tremendously because good storytellers want to find projects that inspire them. So that's going to give you a big boost rather than just grabbing something that your friend wrote and seeing what you can do. Really take your time, really figure out what's going to be something you're willing to commit a couple of years of your life to and stand behind from rejection after rejection till finally you're standing on the set and seeing your film come to life. It's a great feeling. Yes, that is so true. And I really liked what you said about all this small pieces that come kind of together to create the big picture. And mm -hmm. for me, it's film is like magic because you are creating an illusion for people. So they know yeah. what they see is not real, but it is your job to do everything you can to make it feel real for that moment. They are watching it. So this is a big thing. And also you said there is film business and it's with show business because you always have this 
these two worlds of being very creative, but also earning money with what you are doing. And I think this is a big art to combine these both fields to be really successful in film business or show business. So Harry, because a lot of creative people are listening to this podcast, what is your take on working as a creative person, a talent, an actor, whatever, with agent, agents and managers? Mm. Um, I think, you know, there's different relationships that agents have. Well, let me explain the difference. So as some people don't know the difference in an agent and manager. That's the question. And an agent is a licensed entity, and they do three really important things, primarily for talent. They represent directors and producers too, but for talent, which is one of their big, big jobs, is that they get them auditions. They are very much tied into all the casting directors, the studios, producers like me, networks. They know what's going on, and their job is to get you in front of those people to perform your craft. Right. Second thing is they help you negotiate that deal. They know what's fair, what you should get paid, and they have uh, lawyers on staff to help you actually close your deal. The third thing agents do is they actually collect money for you from the studios, residuals, all that stuff. And that's that's a really great place to be. Agents um, are licensed, so they can they charge you 10 percent. That's what their fee is. And their roles are very defined. And obviously, they come from a very they have a large network of people within their company. So they represent a lot of people. So you don't get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time, especially when you're a starting out actor. Um, but what's nice is there's leverage there. So the agent has celebrities and those celebrities get films. And a lot of times the agent then will say, let some of my other talent audition for you to take some of the smaller roles. So that leverage is really great when you're a part of an agency that they can help bring you along, get you into those auditions, get you onto some of those film roles and help build your career that way. Uh, you don't get a lot of one-on-one -on -one personal time. It's not like entourage. Um, there's a 1%, 3% that are celebrities that are earning the top dollar for the agents and they need to follow that. That's what's funding and allowing them to get all their other talent uh, auditions, right? And usually act agents only want you when you're SAG. So it's a catch-22. How do you get that first acting gig that becomes SAG and that shows the agent that you're ready to move on. Uh, it's a lot of hustle and having an agent does not mean that you are set for life and that jobs and money are going to roll in. You always need to push. You always need to suggest new auditions you'd like to do. You always need to be training. You always need to be uh, doing live performances and college films, whatever it takes to earn your craft. Uh, but an agent is a crucial element as if you want to become a working actor. Managers, um, there are great managers, and then there are managers that just collect checks. You have to be very careful because a good manager can really help boost a career. Managers are not regulated, so their job is to really help in a 360 capacity kind of guide your career. They're one-on-one. -on -one. They have smaller rosters. Um, so they're going to help you choose your headshots, find your photographer. Uh, sometimes they can help you get an agent. They're going to, if you have an audition, they'll help you run the sides or decide what you want to wear for that audition to give you the best chance. They're really, they're going to help you with your social media, uh, your branding. A manager can be a really good thing, but they also are unregulated. They technically are not supposed to get you auditions or talk about the deal, you know, but is there overlap between managers and agents? Yes. Are there things they're supposed to legally not do? Yes, but there's a lot of gray area within that. Um, managers usually charge somewhere between 10 and 15%, again, because they're unregulated. 
So you have to be very careful that the money you spend between an agent and a manager could be as much as 25% of your earnings. So you have to really make sure that manager is and that agent are really helpful to you and don't expect them to carry the burden. You have to always push your career, but the agents and managers can very much help you. As a producer, agents, uh, you do not have to be signed with an agent, but they can represent a project. They can represent you and they are great because again, they are selling constantly to the networks, to the studios. So they have tons of knowledge and they know what's being sold, what's not being sold, who's leaving, who's coming at the network heads. So their information is, is vital when you're going to pitch a series or uh, you know something you've been working on for months. They may come in and, and slash the whole thing and break your heart. But it's better that the agent tells you now that this is what you're going to face so you're not sitting in room after room with network executives making a fool of yourself because you do not know that this genre is dead or that there's too much of this in the marketplace and no one wants to hear any more pitches about Alaska. So the agent saves you from that and they're very connected to give you that kind of information. So I always believe in an agent's going to be an important element if you want to have a successful television career, acting career, producer, director, same thing. You know, they, they are connected to all those worlds. And that's really important to help you grow. Yes, that makes sense. And I think this is really great advice that was very clear on where the difference is and what, how much of your money they take as a commission. So thanks for that, Harry. And now to where well, we get to the end of the interview, I wanted to ask you something specific because You said you are a really grateful person and a lot of people helped you to get where you are today. So you are in this mindset of giving back for all that. And you mentioned that there is something you are doing, a special mentoring. Can you tell us about that, please? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I want to say, Victoria, I, I appreciate you saying that because I think I was really excited that you reached out to do this podcast because one thing I love about your podcast is uh, you do it for the audience. And I think that in this day and age, um, there's too much focus on posting and, and subscribing or podcasting all about you as if you're the center of the universe. And I, what I found is that when you give and, and are willing to support other people, it is a much more fulfilling life and people are much more interested in participating. And I think that uh, your podcast is great because you really do focus on uh, really wonderful, strong messages about karma and mindset. And uh, and, and it is such a, a breath of fresh air to hear. And so, yeah, that dialogue we had earlier was LinkedIn has a really great mentoring program and they asked me to participate and it's been very fulfilling for me. Uh, I told you, I, I came from a situation where, you know, when I first moved to California, there was a period of time when I was homeless. And a lot of people were very, very great to me and allowed me to tag along on their projects, uh, gave me opportunities they probably shouldn't have as such a young kid, uh, but believed in me and gave me that confidence. And uh, I wouldn't be where I am today. I don't think I'd feel as confident as you today. I wouldn't be enjoying things as much as if it weren't for Cliff Einstein, Susan Butterworth, people who really uh, took the time to uh, let me grow and let me make mistakes and, and, and give me feedback. So I really do enjoy that. And LinkedIn's program has been wonderful because people have 
come out and ask me questions, and it's been really rewarding. I mean, there was uh, people wanting to change jobs, you know, very successful in their career, but um, you know, had medical setbacks and realized, you know, I wasn't living my true self, and I really want to shift gears. Um, and this gave me a new lease on life and giving them some support and some ideas and some suggestions and reaching out for them to, to give them some help on that. It is very rewarding. And I think it's, uh, it comes back to you. So I want to make sure that I was very, very fortunate for some wonderful people because LA can be a very difficult place. Um, you know, again, there's, there's a, a mixture of people, right? There's people who are purely committed to great storytelling and this is their passion, their drive. There are people there simply for the money. There are people there simply for the fame and all of them are together and you have to find your tribe and find those individuals and support each other, you know, especially when you just believe that this is what you were meant to do. And I really love uh, being able to share whatever knowledge I have that can help someone or make a connection for someone. I think it's important. And LinkedIn has been a wonderful tool for that. And it's been a great way, especially in entertainment people move around all the time. They're freelancing, they're doing different jobs, they're moving from one studio to the next. And uh, LinkedIn's been the best way for me to keep in touch with all those people and a great place for people to find me and, and you know reach out and I can give them help that way. So it's been really rewarding both ways. So uh, how is it possible, Harry, to uh, get this LinkedIn mentoring from you, with you? You know, it's uh, if, if you connect, I guess, on LinkedIn, I'm not really quite sure about the mentoring thing, but there's... Uh, I, I'm not sure how LinkedIn reaches out to the, the folks there, but there's actually a mentoring, I don't know, algorithm they put out there and that they, they reach out to certain people. And that's how I find out. I think you have to sign up for uh, LinkedIn's mentoring program and then they connect you with the right kind of person that can help you, you know, with your question. So that's how they've done it. But people can okay. reach out to me directly and do it directly. But, they, it, you know, you can go through link, LinkedIn's program and they will help connect you with other individuals as well who are sharing information and, and knowledge. Okay, got it. So what would be the best way to connect with you directly for the listeners? Uh, LinkedIn's great. I think that's always a, a wonderful way to stay in touch with you know people, especially those in the industry or trying to grow their business in the industry. And then also um, Instagram, at Good Producer. Uh, that's my Instagram, and a lot of people reach out that way too and kind of see what we're up to and what we're, we're doing with me and my company. And uh, sometimes that offers them an opportunity to ask some questions or Uh, we put, post some behind the scenes things or if we're casting certain things and it opens up and invites opportunity people to start a dialogue with us, you know, or me specifically if they want. All right. Perfect. So for the la final thoughts for this interview, mm -hmm. Harry, is there any great quote you really like that you could share with us? Mm. Um. There was a great quote. I'm probably going to misquote it now, but there was one that talks about if you're not failing, you're not pushing hard enough. And I used to be very, uh, I, I very, and I'm not saying thin-skinned, but I used to be very depressed about. And in this this industry, I'm sure Victoria, like you, there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of people who don't want to take risks or get onto your program. It's easier to say no in this industry because there's less risk involved. Um, and I feel that uh, as I've grown, I've realized the only way that I've done the things that have really filled me up and that motivate me to continue to move forward. And now the only projects I really like are the ones where I'm risking a lot and I'm going outside of my comfort zone and that there will be times when it will fail. And 
then I know I'm pushing enough. If everything is moving along and I never have any failure, then I'm not really, I'm, I'm holding myself back because I'm not trying the stuff that really is interesting to me. So I try the stuff that really inspires me, things that I, I really want to do, and there will be setbacks, there will be failure, but I feel that I can dig through that now thanks to what my parents gave me, thanks to the mentors that have supported me and even through my failures, stood me back up and said, this is how we keep going. And that's that I owe that to them to keep my head up. And one thing I found, Victoria, that's been really helpful is I, I give myself when there is that failure, when there are those setbacks, I give myself a period of time to mourn and to be mad a short period of time. And then I go for a walk or I play some racquetball, something that takes my mind completely off the situation racquetball or sports especially and if I'm out of that mindset of feeling sorry for myself or being angry or thinking people are short-sighted I reinvigorate myself and I'm ready to tackle it again because not everything's right for everyone and you have to keep pushing if you believe in it and that's an important element and I always feel like I owe it to my parents I owe it to Susan Butterworth to keep pushing and doing things because they've always believed and I should too so Yes, I hate failure, but if you're not failing, you're not pushing hard enough. That is a cool magic trick, Harry, to get you oh, yeah. out of this mindset <laughs> to do something really else. So thank you so much for being on Pure Mind Magic today. You shared so much of your wisdom and great inspiration. I think you inspired really a lot of the listeners. Thanks for sharing all that. And I wish you a fantastic magical day in Hollywood. Thank you, Victoria. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye, Harry. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you liked today's journey into Hollywood and the field of entertainment. When you want to get even more and learn something new, maybe about film production, storytelling, or how to become an entertainer, showmaster, an actor, you can grab a free audiobook that is just waiting for you and you have free choice which one to pick. It's completely free and I'll leave a link in the show notes from this episode. You just have to click on it and it will take you directly to the site where you can download it for free and try the service for 30 days. I'm really a fan of the website. This is why I became an affiliate program member and with downloading the ebook you win because you get a free ebook and you also support the pure mind magic podcast for free so enjoy listening to the audiobook and i talk to you next wednesday with another midweek motivation have a magical day or a magical night until next time create some magic